0: folks here we go now as as always my intro has a tendency of having a mind of its own so i literally have no clue who heard that and who didn't i have no idea so and that's okay because (laughs) you guys know that's how i roll so i'm not mr professional right now and 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 you know what it is what it is that that's fine by me it is good to be here Pastor Ken, it has been I think about 3 months since the last time we we were able to to hang out. And I'm excited. I'm super excited to have you on. Tell us what you've been doing in 3 months cuz you know, it's not like you're not busy or anything. I mean, yeah. like, seriously. So fill us in.
1: Uh, well, we spent a couple months in Israel um doing a, a couple of tours there with uh taking people on tours. So um and then of course I I got bronchitis and then I got the flu and then I got COVID. And so oh, I'm wow. in the process of recovering from all of that. Um, but uh, we had a wonderful time in Israel. It was great. Here in Spokane, it was like four degrees. And in Israel, it was like <laughs> 70, and the sun was shining. So, you know, I had to come home to get really sick, but it was, uh, yeah. So we've been keeping busy and we're just, uh, I try to get my body healed up yeah. so I can function again
0: okay so we're we're getting this arctic blast right the whole west coast is getting engulfed so what's the temperature up there so far
1: um right now it's up to 15.
2: it was at six
1: this morning when i got up so yeah it's quite a a blast
2: (laughs) yeah
0: well but still you said it was four degrees not too long ago
1: Yeah. yeah
0: wow that is just crazy insane i don't okay so here obviously we're in southern california and we're big wimps, right? So I think it's supposed to drop, drop. I'm using the term drop. For all of you guys that are in in states where it actually snows for real and you actually get real cold temperatures, just, you know what? Just be patient with me. Pray for us here in Southern California because we are big wimps. Um, but it's, it's supposed to drop down here into the uh, the low 40s at night, high 30s. That's cold. I mean, for, for Southern California, that's, that's pretty cold. So we're not used to it. You know, we're, yeah. we're used to t-shirts and flip-flops and, but now we find ourselves wearing beanies, even though I have to say, I, I got to say something. You know what? I'm telling you they're the youth of today, I never thought I'd hear myself say that, but some of the kids I tell you, it could be 110 degrees outside And some of the kids around here will be wearing hoodies and beanies. And I I just, I don't get it. I really don't get it. Even when I was young, I'm like, okay, when it's hot, it's hot. And I'm going to dress like it's hot. You know what I mean? I'm not going to dress like it's wintertime when it's 110 degrees out, but whatever, you know, Say, la vie. I could, I could go on and I won't. So I'll reserve myself. I'll reserve myself. So you you literally had everything back to back. So did you get you got it all out of the way for the rest of the year? I hope. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Well, we we had COVID again. I think that's this is my third time. About a month, a month ago. Now, mind you, the first time I got it in October of 2020, I lost all of my taste and smell. I mean, zilch. I was one of those fortunate ones they say no unfortunate ones i lost it all and i'm telling you there it was weird to not be able to smell or taste anything and to this day now i'm over 2 years into it i've got it back maybe 85 90%. It is not yeah. back 100%. So yeah. that was a wicked one man. Some people are going to pay dearly for that because <laughs> God gave us taste and smell as a way to enjoy life and and, and to to taste our food. But anyways, I digress. (laughs) I digress. Everybody, it's good to have everyone on. Again, uh, Pastor Ken, I am enjoying this, and it's going to be a really, really good conversation. Uh, Before we get to it, I'll try to speed through our lovely housekeeping. That way I don't bore you with anything, but I want to make people... Aware anybody that's been on here might have forgotten, anybody that's new, I want to turn you on also to Pastor Ken's um, website, and I say website, plural, because he's got more than one. And so let me get on over there. Um, Again, love the black screen. There's nothing I could do about this. Gotta love it. So just bear with me as I click through and you guys see um, all this. Okay, great. Here we go. Again, let me just get through uh, Serpents and Dove Site. Uh, sign up, uh, put your email there. If you guys want, again, I'm going to be doing a um, a video newsletter, and so what I'll do is I'm going to create a YouTube video, but it's going to be unlisted, so no one will be able to see it. I'm going to link it to the uh, the newsletter that I'll be sending out, and um, I'll be putting links below. So if you want to uh, if you want to get that, sign up. Just click, put your email there, and then hit send. Pretty self-explanatory. Again, all the content is here. I will upload this one and Tuesdays with Pastor Tom, hopefully tonight, to the website. But it's on all the other platforms as well. If you guys like all the content, for those watching now, for those that might be watching on the flip side, and you want to come alongside the ministry and support it, I can't tell you just how much it helps. You could click right there on the donate button, and it is all There and again, I can't tell you guys just how much it helps, um, more than you know, but especially right here, your prayers mean so so much. It and and that is really the key the prayers, the prayers, the prayers. Okay, moving on, Calvary Spokane. I said it right this time, right? Right, <laughs> yeah, I didn't say Spokane like somebody, like somebody has no clue because I did last time. So uh, tell us, you are the pastor of this church. Talk to us a little bit about the church, and then we'll move on to your your solo site.
1: Well, we, we came out of uh, Calvary, Costa Mesa. We've been here 40-plus years. I've been the pastor almost all that time. And uh, in fact, this year is our 40th anniversary in October. Um, and uh, yeah, I teach there on a regular basis most of the time. Right now I'm going through a series every this time of year. I do a thing called what's the world's coming to, which was the basis for my uh, podcast. But uh, this year I've mended a little bit. I'm doing uh, what the world's, what the family's coming to. And -hmm. then I'm going to move on to what the uh, church is coming to. And finally, what the nation is coming to. Uh, I really feel like we need to build some uh, doctrinal and conceptual foundations under a lot of believers lives, because I find that many of them don't have a biblical worldview. I mean, they believe the Bible, but they don't understand it enough to view the world and understand the world uh, in a way that makes sense from a biblical perspective. And so that's the idea of the whole series.
0: Very cool. Okay, so um, let me, you know, this is something that I have to remember to put my phone in airplane mode. And I don't do that. And then we get a call right in the middle of the podcast. And so, boom, airplane mode. There we go. All right. So. Um I do want to ask you something. So, let me let me scroll back up here. That series you were talking about actually let me come back over here. The series you were talking about sounds like an amazing topic to cover on a podcast. So, I would ask, would you be willing to come on here and talk about what the family um is coming to and what the church is coming to because I think folks would really really love to hear what God's yeah. put on your heart. If you'd be willing to do that, that would be wonderful.
1: Well, it's, yeah, I'd be more than willing because I feel like, you know, based upon the first 12 chapters of Genesis, I think that the the family uh, and the the family in particular is foundational to yeah. human society. It's where we can become civilized, but that's also the basis of uh, worship, our religious system, and also additionally, uh, our nationhood, our governmental system. Those three things are kind of the triangle that forms the foundation upon which civilized society operates. Yeah. And those things fall apart and we're left with chaos. And, but it always begins with a breakdown of the family.
0: Amen. And we are going to actually kind of talk about that uh, a bit, not at length, but a bit here. So uh, we'll, we'll get off. uh, We'll talk off the record and we'll set a date, but I think that would be really good because uh, it definitely would expand on what we're going to talk about here. And then I'm actually curious what God's laid on your heart in regards to where the family's going. and and specifically where the church is going to. I mentioned this last time, the Bible says that judgment starts in the house of God. You know what I mean? And so uh, we're going to be held responsible for that. Okay, uh back to your site. Let me come on over here. Now, if you guys want to get to Pastor Ken's site, um, I think there's a link down here at the bottom, if I'm not mistaken. Or I, I yeah, right there. Or no, Pastor Ken, maybe, maybe not. But I'll put the links down below anyways. Okay. This is your website, KenOrtiz.com, which again is a really, really good website. Tell us about your podcast. I'm going to click on the podcast here. And uh, all of the podcasts are amazing. By the way, folks, I want to encourage you guys, but tell us how you got here, how you went, um, who encouraged you to do this? Cause it was a great idea.
1: Well, um, <clears throat> yeah, my kids encouraged me to do it, but part of it was the fact that I felt like a lot of the stuff that was rolling around in my head was a little bit too wonky and too detailed to interest people in the Sunday morning service. Plus, the biggest problem is I I don't have enough time on a Sunday morning to say everything I wanted to say. And so I really began to look at this idea of of, uh, really focusing on specific things that are happening in the world and going in-depth because – and, and particularly to see them through a biblical point of view there's this obscure passage in, in second chronicles talking about the uh, tribe of issachar and it said the men of issachar uh were were especially uh gifted because they understood the times and what israel should do and that's really become my my vision for that is that to be able to talk to people about what are what are we looking at right now because i I found that a lot of times people will talk about the signs and things that are going on in the end times, but how do you bring that together to where you begin to say, okay, I know how, this makes sense. Now yeah. Now I see what's actually going on um, because it's hard to pick it out from the headlines, especially the way our, our media is filtered. Yeah. So, um, you know, that, that really is my, my vision, my passion. And they're just things that I feel like God has put into my heart and uh, and it gives me a chance to basically say everything I want to say with without worrying about the clock, yeah, or worrying about getting into too much uh, wonkiness for some people.
0: Yeah, yeah. so and, and it's good. You've done a fabulous job. I, I frequent your, uh, I have one bone to pick with you, and yeah. it's that there's not more material. But you know, again, it's it's not like you don't have anything to do. It's not like you're not pastoring a church. Or doing two trips to Israel. Come on. I mean, seriously, right? So I I, I say that I see yeah, I say that humorously, but I'm just telling you, it is great content, Pastor Ken. I love it. And I really think that a lot of this stuff should be talked about you know in the pulpit, obviously always through the lens of scripture, right? Because at the end of the day, I don't want to hear anybody's opinion what they think. I wanna make sure that what they say always ties into scripture, because that's really what it all boils down to is what does Jesus Christ say? What does the Lord tell us in his word? And how can make, we make sure that we're discerning not only of the times we live in, but of our surroundings too, right? And and exactly. and I think, see, let, let me just say this. I'm not attacking anybody, not at all. I think that's one of the reasons why um, I want to make sure that this podcast isn't a lopsided podcast, or a, you know, um, a top-heavy one in regards to only talking about Bible prophecy. I will always try to make sure that I tie that in because I think we are in the last days, and a lot of the things that are happening in the world around us, spiritual warfare, a whole lot of stuff, definitely ties into the fact that we're living in the last days. However, with that said. We have to remember that there are other issues that will never go away. The main one being sin, and sin is the culprit of everything else, you know, that that derives from it. Case in point, the the family, uh, you know, the, the family unit, the, yeah. the marriage, the institution of marriage, our relationships with our children. Um, there, there's a lot that needs to be talked about that unfortunately is not seeing the light of day from the pulpits as they used to cuz pastor Ken I have to be honest with you when I was a kid we used to hear a lot more talk about specific issues that were plaguing the church and it seems yeah. like now a lot of that has gone away is that something that you see as well or is it just me
1: no it's it's uh, in fact I can say pretty assuredly that it is the fact of the matter um i find that many of my colleagues um are really afraid uh, uh, to go to talk about some of these issues because they've given up so much ground. And it really kind of in some ways related to going back to the nineties when the seeker sensitive movement came in, we had this idea that what we're supposed to do is talk in a way that makes uh, non-Christians comfortable. Sure. And uh, I've just never figured out how to do that because, you know, if you talk about sin, righteousness, repentance, um, they're not comfortable, but. The whole idea is the Holy Spirit convicts us and makes us uncomfortable. That's why we change. But I think it's that idea that they wanted to broaden the tent and get as many people in there. Uh, we became caught up in both not only nickels and noses and buildings and and uh, being big shots. Yeah, uh, I think part of the celebrity culture mindset has infected uh, many leaders so that they want to be uh, fabulous and important and yeah. You know, it's just, it's an erosion, erosive effect that's been just coming for the last uh, three or four decades. Yeah. And I, I think that it was it was interesting because it's uh, one secular writer, Neil Postman, wrote a book called uh, uh, Entertaining Ourselves to Death. And he was talking about the advent of television from a, he's a, a non-practicing Jew, and uh, but he's a journalist. And one of the things he said about Christian t- TV, which had just started when he wrote the book, is he said... I have the feeling that Christianity has a much richer and meaningful theological and philosophical foundation than can be expressed by a talking head on a TV in 30 minutes. Yep. And he's, he predicted that time that this would lead to a diminishing of the Christianity's impact upon the culture because it was being trivialized by television.
0: Yeah, and I agree. So and, and OK, so take that. And multiply it now with the advent of the smartphone, and you could take that kind of entertainment, whether it's uh, YouTube, Rumble, Apple TV, at all, right? And so now, because the way I see that is definitely a distraction for the believer. Now, and I always come back to the believer, and the reason why I come back to the believer is because Those that are apart from Christ, they're not spiritually discerning. They are spiritually dead speaking so, right? And so we can't expect them to understand the things of God. Not that we're not to go out and make disciples of all men and share that hope of Jesus Christ that we have with them, right? But I always bring it down to the believer because we're the ones that are supposed to be making a difference in the world. We're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be light. And if we're not, well, things are going to get dark. And this, I'm sure, ties into, uh, partly ties into what you're going to talk about uh, the church when you do your series about the church. You know, uh, mm-hmm. w- what what's the church coming to? And so, um, I know we kind of deviated a bit here, but it does kind of tie into what we're talking about. So, um, I want to open up with a verse. It was a great Bible verse that that you talked about. Now, this is on your Requiem Redux and let me read the verse. It's in Proverbs 22.3. This is in your last podcast, which I think is extremely apropos uh, for today's conversation. And you, the verse says, a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. And so I want you to kind of expand on that because I think we're really at a critical, you say also that we're at a critical uh, moment in history, and that's in regards to our culture, our society, really the foundations of the world, what, what we see. You also made this connection between, and I loved it, because again, I'm a visual learner. So you say something, I see it automatically right up in here. And maybe that's just the designer, the artist in me, right? Because I could just picture it up in here. But you said that the lug nuts have been removed of the wheels and the wheel is coming off. And that always spells for disaster when you're, let's say, going on a freeway 80 miles an hour and the wheel just mm-hmm. comes off, right? And you also make the connection how people are clueless and weary. If you wouldn't mind expanding on what I just said, and I know I threw a lot out you, but um, please give us your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. Well, when I was in uh, Israel here recently, uh, we were visiting Yad Vashem, which is the Holocaust Museum. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my friends, uh, Israeli friends, said, he said the problem with the Holocaust was that there were only 22,000 Gentiles who put their life at risk and some have lost it in order to provide refuge and escape for many of the Jews living in Europe. He said, most of the Europeans look the other way. And that phrase really struck me. They looked the other way. And I, I, I was asked that question. Uh, we had Dennis Agajain here at our church a few weeks ago, and he was asking me what I, why it seemed that so many Christians are so um, ambivalent or even apathetic. And I said, because they just want to look the other way. They yeah. don't really want to think about it and i think that what happens even within the church is pastors want to encourage their people and yet i was just reading this morning about uh jehoshaphat and ahab yeah that ahab uh ahab uh had had his 400 prophets and they had said they encouraged him and then micah the prophet comes up and he says uh you're gonna die
2: yeah yeah
1: <laughs> so his pro- people are being encouraged, but are they being encouraged to really look at things as they really are? Yeah. And if you sometimes I feel like I, um, you know, it's, I kind of, kind of become a woe is me prophet, kind of a Jeremiah, in the sense that I don't exactly enjoy talking about some of the dark and ugly and negative things that are going on in our world. Yeah. But it's terrible that I find that most Christians don't want to really look at them and consider that because they are really literally ripping the intestines out of our culture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's unsurvivable. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I want to kind of stay on this, uh, on track here because I think it's important to make the connection of where we're at as a society, right? Because, Mm -hmm. uh, I believe we're, if we're not there yet, we're definitely moving rapidly into a post Christian era where yep. where we have um you know, uh, I believe it's second Timothy that that talks about the nineteen characteristics, and I, i've I kind of yep. quickly talked about that on the last podcast, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: where we have a semblance, some kind of semblance of Christianity, some vestige of Christianity. but really when when you when you get down and boil it down, that's not the case because. Our society is not reflective. of the. Con- Let me say it this way. The condition of our culture, the condition of our society, whether it's here in the United States or by and large on a global level, does not reflect what people are saying. Now, I, I love what Pastor Chuck Smith said uh, a few years ago before he passed away. He said, if you were to take a popularity contest between Satan and God Satan would win hands down and he said this probably 15 20 years no probably like 20 years ago yeah. but there's a lot of truth to that and when when we see the decay of society as we're seeing now where do we if we follow the breadcrumbs where does that lead us?
1: Yeah well I think as the Grammy Awards <laughs> demonstrate
0: exactly yes well, and Super Bowl completely. and the Super yeah, Bowl. It, it,
1: yeah, it's completely true, and and you just see that. Um, one of the things that was interesting when I used to I used to go over and teach in India every year, and, and uh, what was interesting to me was that in India uh, nobody questions reality of demons or even the devil because it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere, it's right. out in front. People worship demons, and uh, you come to the states, and and people don't believe that demons exist. And yet I found that when Satan gets a strong enough control over a culture, he no longer hides. Yeah. Because what Satan wants, if we read in Isaiah 14 is he wants to replace God. He wants to be worshiped as God. And so as a consequence, he ultimately wants to position himself where people are doing like what they did on the Grammys or at the Super Bowl, or things like that. So he becomes the focal point of the worship of mankind. And, uh, in order to do that, we have to create an alienation. He has to create an alienation with with uh, people against Christianity, and so it's it's one of the things that you find that we've we've really changed. Uh, I think that it was uh, uh, John MacArthur who came up years ago with the phrase "easy believism. Mm-hmm. and we have this idea of of a a, a crossless Christianity was yeah. how Niebuhr put it. We have a Christianity where there is no cross, there is no sacrifice. There is no death to self, there is no struggle for holiness and so even to use the word piety to be a pious man is, has become almost a pejorative yeah nobody even Christians want to be called pious and you know if you look at the definition it's actually quite a good word. yeah <laughs> it's something you should aspire to.
2: yeah yeah for
1: sure um, um, It's just go ahead it's really the turning of the culture upside down.
0: Well, um, and, and you know what, that, that doesn't bode well for the country as a whole. And again, as, no. as I as I mentioned the breadcrumbs, the reason why I made that that connection was because if we were to trace it back, again, I know that I, I'm harping on this, but I want to make sure people understand the importance of the impact the church should be having on our society, on our culture. And it's not us. I want to make sure that I I underscore the fact that it's not you, it's not me, it's not the individual. It's God working through our lives, impacting those around us, right? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. But again, I think there has been this, um, and (laughs) this is probably a really bad word to use, but this adulteration of the gospel, of the way the church should function, right? Um, if we read in the Old Testament, God made the connection between Israel being um, the, uh, the adulterer with idolatry, with idols, with others. And we oftentimes look at idols as these little statues, but within the church itself, I believe, too, that we have made those in leadership idols and I'd mm-hmm. love to get your take on that too, because I think that is huge. Yeah. We need to talk about the fact that we, the Lord never intended those whom He put in positions such as yourself for mm-hmm. us to to say, oh, you know what, they're the end-all, say-all, because that's not the case. And we run the risk of, of really, unfortunately, maybe whether we admit it or not, almost like worshiping certain people.
1: Well, I I think almost might be too kind. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because, I mean, even as a pastor, I've had people who uh, feel like I have a special relationship with God that's greater than theirs, or God hears my prayers before he hears theirs. And it's kind of a thing you have to always be tamping down. Um, I think David Wilkerson once said that flattery will never hurt you unless you suck it in, then it becomes poisonous. (laughs) That's a good one. it's, it's this whole idea that again, you're, you're right. I think, I think the celebrity mindset where pastors want to be celebrities. Yes. So when you have things like pre- preachers and sneakers where guys are wearing $5,000 tennis shoes, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I don't really care, you know, that they wear $5,000 tennis shoes, but it's the very idea that you find that the idea of presenting yourself as being really hip uh, having celebrities who attend your church um, and and just becoming a, a mini celebrity, getting your picture taken with a celebrity. Yeah. So we have things like with, with Brian Houston and and uh, and Carl Lentz, and, yep. and I just don't want to go because some guys are still out there. But <laughs> you know, it's just when you realize that the largest church in America is Joel Osteen's church. Yeah. And and and, and again, you know, uh, Joel Osteen doesn't know the difference between Christianity and Islam. That's right. Uh, so you sit there and realize that all it is is really kind of a Christianized Tony Robinson uh, yeah. uh, PMA you know, meeting. It's not really the gospel. It's not really Christianity. So it's really that supplanting. And I was just going through in one of my daily devotions. I do a daily thing every day. Uh, and uh, basically, I was talking about the issue of sound doctrine, the emphasis that Paul made on that over and over again, the importance of sound doctrine. And essentially what he was saying is the things I'm saying to you, the things we're writing, which seen the gospels, what Jesus said, this is sound doctrine, teach these things and maintain their form. Yep. Don't let them be, as you said, adulterated. Yeah. Adulterated means you're just adding something in or you're taking something out. That's right.
0: Yeah. And and we could see that all over. And, and listen, we could literally talk about this the entire podcast and uh, actually, we could probably talk about this for multiple podcasts. <laughs> but again, the the question the question for you know that that I'm trying to get to, and and I titled it right is is this the end of America? Is this the end of the world? And I'm gonna kind of switch switch it up here. I'm gonna change gears because um, not only does the church impact our country as it should, now whether that's for good. Or for bad, I think I'm leaning more towards the bad side lately, as of late. But we also have to keep in mind that I think the Bible has a lot to say about, and I know I'm gonna step on toes here about immigration. I put the title Dreamers in, I I mentioned that in the YouTube description for a reason. Um, I know that goes back to the Obama administration, DACA, and then they had the Dreamers. um, And I don't really wanna spend much time in that, but. What it really boils down to, and what I want to boil this down to, is this notion of immigration. And I'm not going to sit here and park myself here. This is just something I'm going to touch on, and I have a point to make. Um, we have, and I have no problem with legal immigration. My parents did it. Okay, we're immigrants. And one thing that I want to make sure everybody understands is that our country is a melting pot of different cultures. I mean, we really cannot define an American, right? What is an American? Mm-hmm. Just like you, you can do that in Europe. You, what's a Chinese? What's a, you know, a person from India? What is uh, somebody that is, uh, you know, a French uh, Frenchman or a French woman? I mean, we can define those, but when it comes to an American, this is a melting pot, and that's the beauty of this country. Um, mm-hmm. It's like this kaleidoscope, right? But we've. Uh, We've had, as of late, maybe as of the last 15, 20 years, especially in the last, I'd say, two, we've had this massive flood of illegal immigration coming in here, and that affects the country. And the reason why I think we have a big difference, immigration 50, 60 years ago versus today, is that there's non-assimilation, we have people right. coming into this country that don't want to assimilate to the country. And I'm not saying get, uh, forget your culture, forget what you, where you come from, not at all. But we do have, uh, and, and I want you to talk into this, um, the dangers of cultures coming in and there being no assimilation to this country and how that affects the foundation of the country as well. So touch on that really quick, and then we'll just kind of expand from there.
1: Well, I think uh, probably one of the best examples is not no, so much here in the United States as much as is the failed policy of the Bush administration to democratize Iraq. Yeah. Iraqis have a religious system which is antithetical to the idea of a democratic institution. And so we're trying to change the culture or change the government without changing the culture. And you end up with a form of democracy, which is basically a, just a different way of expressing Islam. Yep. So nothing really changes. And I think that's the problem when you have people who aspire to come to America because they love what America represents, its values. Yeah. And I had I've had immigrants, my pa- my grandparents were immigrants, and and I know that I've talked to immigrants who said it was the the value system because even if you grow up in England, uh, I have one friend of mine, British friend of mine say to me, because I didn't have two last names, I was limited in how high I could go in society. Wow. And you find and, and when when the french were having problems with riots in paris because 20 percent of the population were people who had come from north africa and were muslims they were rioting not because they were muslim they were rioting because the french are racist they will not allow those people to integrate into the society yeah so what makes america unique is it's based upon merit if you can do the job you can move ahead yeah uh, if you were willing to become part of us, then you can succeed. And what we have now is just really a, a when you have 2.7 million people coming to the country in two years, not only is that economically unsustainable, but these people can't find jobs yeah. and they are not skilled for those jobs. So you create this permanent underclass who eventually, like they did in Paris, they become very angry and frustrated because the promise is not fulfilled and they're not liberated. They're trapped in a system that holds them in child slavery, essentially. Sure.
0: sure. And okay, so, so let's talk about that for a bit, because also let me add on top of what you're saying. There are also, there's the danger of those coming into this country with nefarious intentions. And I think for us, it would be really dumb to assume that that is not the case right now, right? Because we have it coming from the South, we have it coming from the North, and that really poses massive consequences uh, to our country as a whole. Now, uh, what does the Bible say about those kinds of dangers? Right now, I'm thinking in my mind as we're talking right now, the Lord was crystal clear, and he had a he had an end goal and a reason, obviously, why when he told um, uh, when he told Joshua, "Hey, when you're going to go in there, you got to just clean it out." And they didn't. No. They didn't obey the Lord. They didn't. And what happened to those influences? If you wouldn't mind, because I do want again. I want to tie it back to scripture.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that that's the perfect illustration. That um, it basically said you're moving into a land where there's people who have diametrically different views about life, about what's important, uh, the their moral and social structures antithetical to everything I've taught you, and they will be snares. And thorns yeah. that will entrap you and destroy your culture, and like you're saying, that's what we read when we get into the book of Judges. We begin to read the beginning of those infection, an infection that never left. Ultimately, yeah, yeah. that we, you know, it's it's crazy when you think about how that idea of uh, letting that it wasn't so much the exposure to foreign culture that wasn't the problem. The problem was the exposure to foreign values yes. that were antithetical to the Word of God, and I think that we have to, we can't understand, you know, just the idea that the cartels have such a powerful presence on the border right now and within the country and the spread of fentanyl, um, these things are unsustainable, you know? And uh, that's even like in China, when, when Mao took over, the first thing he did was arrested all the opiate addicts and kill them. Yeah. Yeah. Because he knew that it was, it was going to destroy their culture. Yep.
0: Well, and, and you know what, uh, just on that notion alone, I mean, I've never seen what I'm seeing now on the sides of the freeways, on the sides uh, of the train tracks, right? Uh, yeah. does that does that go all the way? again, I don't I don't live up in Washington or Oregon, but I would imagine that this is not just something relegated to SoCal or certain specific areas of the United States, but it this is all all over, right?
1: it's all over and it's uh even in a town like spokane we're about a half a million people um and yet uh we just don't go downtown very often anymore yeah because it's not safe yeah and that when i moved here you could walk through the middle of town in the middle of the night and there was no harm but now there is so much homelessness and and the homelessness 90 percent of it is is people who are addicted to drugs yeah particularly fentanyl. i mean it's it's just ubiquitous. And so the the news here doesn't even report the rate of crime that goes on in our city because it's bad publicity for your city.
0: Sure, absolutely. Well, here here as well. Here as well. In, in Anaheim, for example, uh, you would have never seen what I'm actually seeing now when you drive down the five freeway on the sides of the freeway. And I know that there are those folks out there that are going, well, you guys are heartless. No, we're just stating a fact. And if we really bring it back to Scripture— doesn't the Bible talk about how in the last days there was going to be a spike? And I know the Bible uses the word witchcraft, but it's really the word pharmakeia. Would you mind yeah. just uh, just talk about that briefly? Because I want to make sure people understand the connection.
1: Yeah, the idea of, <coughs> of pharmakeia was really just simply the idea that you were adding something, whether it was a spirit or any other thing. It's kind of like the reality of drunkenness. I was just looking at that in, 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 in Proverbs 23, where he talks about you know, the the man who is captured by intoxication, and he's taking beatings and bruisings, and he's saying, you know, I'll just get up and do it again. Yeah. Um, But the idea is that you're mastered by something. And uh, Paul made that very clear, that everything is lawful for me, but I won't be mastered by anything. And I think that the real danger is that you, I have Christians ask me things like, well, since it's legal to smoke pot, is it all right for me to smoke pot? And I say, no, you can't smoke pot and not become intoxicated. It's like, you know, you might be able to do that with a glass of wine at dinner, but you can't do that with a, yeah. with a joint. Yeah. And the whole idea is that you are no longer in control and your decision making becomes skewed and uh, you begin to do stupid things. Yeah. Terrible yeah. things. And I, 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 don't, I think that that's the, the thing that's really sad because what you're, what we're seeing is, is that these people are completely consumed. The sad thing is, many of the people I I encounter start off with getting prescription drugs from their doctor, and a lot of times, oxycotton, yep. and then they went to heroin, and now they've gone to fentanyl, and uh, it's a it's a it's a spiral that's just uh, very very difficult to pull people out of.
0: Yeah. So, and also, I see a connection here to um, the demonic, right? Absolutely. I know- Big, Absolutely. So, so talk about that a bit. Uh, make that connection because I think a lot of folks out yep. there don't see it, and I think it's really important that as believers, we mm-hmm. see the connection between what's going on, what we just talked about in the demonic.
1: Well, I have, I have somewhat of a personal testimony in regard to that because before I was a Christian, I was deeply involved in in drugs. I mean, I especially hallucinogenics uh, took a lot of LSD, and all I can say is that I had encounters with demonic personalities. And uh, many people I knew got demon-possessed. And I think that happens with many people. When you, I had a friend of mine one time explain to me how he became demon-possessed just through alcoholism. He said, I came to a point where uh, these demons were just pressing on me to to take over. And he said, I got to the point where I had no willpower left. And Mm -hmm. I just let them take over. And that's what happens with substance abuse. You get to a point where you no longer have the will to say no to those outward forces and they'll just, they just come in and take over. Yeah. And not only do they double down on the addiction, but they take control of the person's behavior. And so we see these people who are just absolutely maniacal maniacal. These people uh, are, are basically, I think many of them are demon possessed Yeah. and when we're dealing with it's one of the first things we do is start praying for the demons.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um As you were talking, I, I made, I made a note here because I think there might be those that might hear us and go, whew, thank God I'm not addicted to that stuff, but I want to, I want to, and I know it's laughable because I think we've come to a point where we think, oh good, I don't do that. And we somehow think that we're safe, but I want to make sure that we also say, Hey, do you watch porn? Yeah. Do you watch soft porn? Do you watch movies with nudity in them? I think every single thing that we've talked about in relationship to drugs and drug addiction can also be applied in the area of sexual immorality. And sexual immorality, we read about that in the Old Testament and how it got more and more perverse, especially when they perverted it in religious religious ceremonies. Yeah, and so yeah. we need to understand that it is just like you know you have what they call gateway drugs, and one thing leads to the other. You just made the connection: oxycontin, heroin, and then fentanyl. But for yeah. for talk about that because I think it's really important, yeah. and that's one thing we don't hear at all talked about yeah. in the pulpit is the addiction to pornography, the materials, the advent of the phone, and how that's affecting. The pastorate, because I think people would be blown away if I read them statistics of how many pastors are addicted to porn, and when there are conferences, whether it's prophecy conferences or biblical conferences, the rate of purchasing pornography is through the roof, through the roof. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, It's it's. I think. it's, it's one of these issues that's uh, so severe and so so bad right now. We're talking about 90% of Christian men are viewing pornography yep. on a fairly regular basis. Yep. And it, you, But the pornographers, they want to really capture uh, people when they're between 12 and 14 years of age. Because if they can get them addicted at that age, they will have them for life. And what viewing pornography does is it releases... Um, but they call them yeah, in the brain. It's, they said it 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 is it hits you faster than it than mainlining heroin. Yep, sure does. And it creates this feeling of euphoria and this feeling of escape. And like any addiction, it leaves you uh, depressed and empty. And so you go back for more. That's right. And one of the things is that you're talking about being soft porn is a great way to more and more perverse things. And so, I mean, I've talked with people who started off just, reading a Playboy magazine, and now they're into some of the most unbelievably horrible things you can imagine. Yeah, And uh, they they don't know how they, they got there. We like to say, well, those people who do those really bizarre things are just weirdos. No, they're ordinary people that little by little, it's it's the Ted Bundy dynamic.
0: Exactly. It, I was just thinking about that. Why don't you talk about that real
1: quick? Well, Ted Bundy said he just started by finding uh, Playboy magazines yep. in a trash can in his neighbor's house. Yep,
2: that's right. That's right. And then he
1: started reading crime magazines and, and the idea of, of associating uh, pleasure with pain, which seems to be part of the progression. And then the idea of afflicting pain on others creates an erotic response. And it just you just you sit there and you go not yeah. everybody that is going to react that same way, but there's enough of them to make it a more dangerous world.
0: Absolutely. And and look, if we could literally again Here's a subject that we could park ourselves on and talk about for probably multiple series, just because of the impact that it's having on our culture, on society, and within the church. Now, this is just one issue that's plaguing the church on a large scale, but I want to make sure that I underscore the dangers, the dangers that pornography poses Mm -hmm. on our culture. Some might think that it's only relegated to men, but I think most people would be surprised to hear that pornography now, the use of pornography between men and women is not either equal or more by women than by men at some points in time. And that is something that blows my mind. When I was in college in my sociology class, we, the, the professor split the group up into three and each one took a subject. Well, we took up the subject of pornography, its effect on society and we had the pro side and we had the con side. And I think that if I were to go back now in college and split that group up, it would probably be me and somebody else. And the large majority of the group would be for pornography, right? For using it. Because if we look at society as a whole, if we look at society as a whole, let's take, for example, the Roman Empire. No one ever conquered the Roman Empire, but we know that the Roman Empire imploded. Would you Now, if you're familiar with that, would you mind even just quickly talking about why was it that the Roman Empire imploded?
1: Prosperity and player. Yeah. Those two things combined are—it um, was uh, Sir John Glove in his Fate of Nations that basically said that those two things combined— uh, destroy great nations, great empires. And it's, a, it's always has the same effect. I mean, essentially, you become, you, you know, like, like Sodom had said, they had an abundance of bread and an abundance of leisure. And that's why they became so sexually corrupt. Yeah. And I think that that's, it's always that same pattern, because suddenly you, have, uh, you go from having to work every day and, and, and come home exhausted just trying to survive and now you have more than enough that you need and you can just sit around and, and find things to entertain yourself with. And it's just a natural progression because every, every great invention has ended up having a very diabolical and dark side to it. And digital media is certainly one that has great potential for good. I think we're participating in that, I hope, right now. Yeah. But we also know that there for every site that there's like the, a podcast like this, There are probably thousands and thousands and thousands of websites that are just pushing ever increasingly perverse pornography. Yeah,
0: I agree 100%.
1: We're the victims of our own prosperity and our own yearning to live for pleasure. And that's why I think you go, you refer back to 2 Timothy 3, where he says, there'll be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. That's
0: correct. That's correct.
1: I don't know if you, I did a podcast once where I went through that passage that basically it's a pathology of people who are narcissistic sociopaths. Yeah. people on the planet are going to become completely narcissistic and completely sociopath and we know that the percentage of the population that are narcissistic is growing, not shrinking.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I and, and even the scary part, again, I'm always going to bring this back to the church, even within the church. That's the scary part. Because here again, we're supposed to be salt, we're supposed to be light but we've quickly become the antithesis of what God intended the church to be. Now, please understand I'm not saying that about all churches. It would be ridiculous of me to batch everybody in to the same group. But the large majority of them are going in that direction, and yeah. I think they're embracing they're embracing this if it feels good, then do it, right? Especially when it comes yeah. to and I've I've always said perversion leads to more perversion and grosser perversion we could see those examples in scripture in the old testament as well right and and how time and time again there is a warning about the seductress the adulteress right and and yeah it gives it a, f- a feminine connotation but this goes either way this could go either way we could uh, um it could it could really go the man or the woman but c- case in point for example in my in in my experience what happened to me i was sexually molested when i was 6 years old hmm. i carried that it opened you know it it did that does something to the psyche of a child to the mind of a child um that that shouldn't be done it it unleashes uh uh feelings and things that a child at that age has no way of understanding no way of comprehending no way of processing what just happened to them. And and Satan will use that oftentimes as a means of of guilt. And oh boy, I got to tell you, and again, this is just part of my testimony, but Satan will use that not only as a means to open the doors to things that shouldn't be opened at an early age, but at the same time to beat you up over it at the same time. Because I've said this before, he hates you. Satan hates you, he hates Christians. he wants to destroy everything God created because at the end of the day he hates God. And so yep. what I see now is what like for example, what happened to me and, and let me get your take on this as well. What happened to me was uh, sexuality was awakened very young age. And it led into, I saw my first soft porn movie when I was 13 years old. And like you said, it releases these endorphins in your mind. It was like instant. Whoa! it was euphoric. It was something that in my mind, I couldn't, well, how do I deal with that? Wow, I want the next high. I want the next high. And one thing leads to the other, right? Yes. But at the same time, what's crazy is when you come off that high, Who's there to meet you? Satan's there to meet you. The accuser of the brethren and go, you are the dirtiest individual I have ever met. You really think that God died for someone as dirty as you? You're not saved. You're going to hell and I'm going to be right there to greet you. And there's all these thoughts and lies that Satan puts. And then again, you look for that high and you're always trying to get to the next high. And what does that do? for example, in my case, what happened was I got to a point where I'm like, Lord, something's got to give. Something's got to give or I'm going to give. And that's the point that Satan wants to get people. It is a point of destruction. He wants to destroy people. And we have this silent killer that's, that's making its way and traversing its way through the churches and the pulpits, and nobody is saying anything about that. And because it's a silent killer, we see how it's impacting society how perversion leads to more perversion. We have the LGBTQ movement. We've got the transgender movement. We've got this um, drag queen story hour. uh, I mean, we could really go down the list of how sexual immorality leads to destruction. That's one of the reasons why I wanted you to talk about the Roman Empire, Mm -hmm. because if we bring it to present time, the U.S., we, yeah. You could check both of those boxes, right? Pleasure and prosperity. Yeah. Yeah. So where does that where does that put us? Yeah. Where does that put the U.S.?
1: Well, you know, I think, first of all, we have to recognize that there's one of the things I did in one of my recent teachings that I'm doing. I did call it the sexualization of the family. And it really goes back uh, to when we talk about the sexual revolution, particularly Alfred Kinsey, who formed the Kinsey Institute that's still operational today. We just celebrated, or some people celebrated, his 75th anniversary of his death. I wish it had come uh, 100 years ago instead of 75, but he basically created this whole idea of doing experimentation to find out what the typical sexual response of an adult male, adult female is. And what people don't know is that Kinsey's, first of all, all of his research techniques have been disavowed, but they've held on to his conclusions. And which is kind of amazing, but that's kind of the way it works. And what he did was most of his test subjects were pedophiles, prostitutes, and prison inmates. And that's where the whole idea that 10% of the population is homosexual, homosexual because 10% of those who were in prison were se- homosexuals. Correct. And he, he himself was a sadistic bisexual pedophile. And I can't even... Talk about yeah. what he did to children. Yeah, but these are in the same way with Masters and Johnson. Basically, they just they themselves ultimately made their own. They both committed adultery and made their own self the test subjects. They write about their own experiences, and this was passed off as being science. Today, this informs. Much of our psychological community on what is normal sexual behavior, right. and so that's where you know Masters and Johnson said first of all, if you you, you select it, then you measure it, and whatever becomes average becomes normal. Huh. Well, and so if it, if whatever yeah. is average in Sodom becomes normal, that's then right. Sodomy becomes normal. Yeah, and that's kind of where we're at, and, and <clears throat> again, it's unsurvivable basically because um, it's it's the idea of drinking poison. Uh, you will die at some point if yeah. you start drinking antifreeze just a little bit a day. That's right. It may not kill you right away, but it's going to get you sooner or later.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's where we're at. I really do. I think I it's, do. it's 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 a, a matter of accumulation. And
2: I think, I
1: think that we could miss the point that when these guys go on the Grammys on a national yeah. international program and do what they did, which was full of Satanism and sexuality. Yeah. Those yeah. two things always seem to link together
0: always you know what i'm glad you brought that distinction up because i don't i don't know how many people realize the connection between sex and uh demonic activity there is yep. a massive connection there you'll all, you're always going to see that connection i mean we can go back to hitler he was deeply involved in the occult and yet at the same time he was uh, a sex fiend you know what i mean yep. he he just uh he was perverted and and well, Go ahead. It's
1: Stalin. It's Mao. Yep. You just go through the list. They're all just sexual perverts. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So again, you know that if if we really look at where we're at, it doesn't bode well for the U, the U.S. It doesn't look good, not just for us, but if we look at it on a global level, because at least here, to some small degree, because of the church, I believe there is still protection for children, right? Um, but if we look at at uh, other parts of the world, the, those protections are gone, unfortunately, when it comes to children and they're being exploited on levels that I don't even wanna talk about.
1: Well, I, I was just uh, going through some stuff right now with the Washington State uh, Health Department and they're, they have a whole program for t- how to teach uh, sex education in school systems. And one of the things they come out with is that transsexuality and homosexuality are normal behaviors. And we shouldn't, they're, they're, in other words, this is for fourth, fifth, and sixth grade curriculums. But, you know, it's really sad because what I find is that even amongst my peers, I mean, it was one thing to, to see the Church of England uh, go in the direction they've gone. It doesn't terribly surprise me. Sure. But when I began to find out that there are whole segments of the Roman Catholic Church, even the Seventh-day Adventist Church and groups like that who are beginning to embrace uh the lgbtq community who are beginning to play the pronoun, pronoun games yeah uh even even some evangelical pastors i remember my my one of my sons showed me an, a a uh, a blog by uh somebody that i know and uh, a guy who was formerly a calvary guy and, and he's talking about how we need to rethink our view of homosexuality and yeah. and treat them with love and then my son turns to me he says let me show you something else and he pulls up the, the pastor's son's website and he's clearly a homosexual. Yeah. And I thought, so what, we're, what I find what's happening with a lot of good Christian people is when it comes to this issue that my kid has come out of the closet, rather than saying, the Bible tells me I'm not supposed to even eat with you. Yeah. What they're doing instead is saying, well, we just need to love them. Yeah. Yeah. And I know churches in my own community, evangelical churches that boast their desire to win the lost who never, ever, ever mention the issue of homosexuality or transsexuality or any of that. They'll never say a word about it because they know that they have people who are in those lifestyles in their congregation, and they don't want to be unloving.
0: So, so let me just clear this up, too, because there might be some listening. They're going, so you're saying that we need to ostracize our kids, if that's the case. But that's not what you're saying. You're saying no. that we need... Obviously, there are kids, right? We need to love on yeah. them. But at the same time, also make sure that we take that biblical stance as well. Am I right?
1: Yeah, because the idea in the Middle East, in the biblical context, when you eat with somebody, that what they call a covenant of salt. Yeah. You You bring them into your life. And basically what happens is... We're supposed to tell them, you understand that this is destructive behavior. You understand this is a damnable act. Sure. You understand you can't be saved. You will, Paul, very clear, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's just, we're, what we're doing is we're changing it all around saying, well, I'm sure that God has a section of heaven preserved for people who are LGBTQ. Right. I mean, it. it, it and they diminish the importance and significance of it. That's why, you know, it was... Uh, I think it was uh, uh, Chesterton who said, you know, what first becomes uh, unthinkable becomes debatable will eventually become acceptable.
0: Sure. Absolutely.
1: And so the fact that we're able to have the debate tells us how much trouble we're in.
0: Yeah. And I'll say this much. Unfortunately, that has become such a hot topic. And I think that as a church, and, and again, maybe we can have this talk really quick right now. Now we're running out of time, but but we could have this talk real quick is... Oftentimes they say that, oh, you guys, you Christians only focus on the subject of homosexuality. And really that the case, uh, that's not really the case. But I think what's happening is society by and large is trying to normalize something that in Scripture Mm -hmm. is not normal. Right. And uh, I think it's because it's become such a big issue in our society, around the world, even in Israel, I mean, because some folks might think, "Oh, wow, man, you know, the U.S. is toast." No, look, Israel is a very secular society as well. They're they're yeah. very much like the United States, right? But we can we can make those distinctions. Whether it's homosexuality, we can make those distinctions with adultery, with fornication, with um, uh, gossip. You know, and again, I'm not equating them, but I think if we look at all of them, right? Hey, some people would say, "Well, you're only picking on one." No, I understand. Sin is sin in God's eyes. Period. But um, well, yeah, I want I you to address to, that. I
1: would go back to something that Elon Musk said about his position uh, in the political climate we're in right now. He said, "I didn't move; they moved." Yeah. And what what's happening is we're being pressured to change our values to conform to the culture and my concern is that we're we're not willing to take a stand sure and say this is a bridge too far
0: yeah yep i agree pastor brandon i mean you i would encourage folks go on pastor brandon's website pastor brandon House from rock harbor church you know he he encourages church he was there at a school district board meeting because there was a teacher that was trying to groom kids and he said the sad thing is the majority of the parents not the, all of them but they supported yeah. the teacher, yeah. and and that is the that is the attitude that we have in this country. Is I think there comes a point of no return, right? I've said I've made this illustration before. Uh, airplanes reach what's called terminal velocity when they're on the runway and they're committed to taking off. Man, whether you're going up or whether you're going down, you're just committed. You're there. And so, would you say we're at a point right now? In this country or maybe even on a global stage where we've reached terminal velocity in regards to we're committed
1: yeah i think we need to understand globally that we are the hegemonic nation the direction of the the us goes the rest of the world goes yeah and some of those countries like canada are just outpacing us they're they can't go far enough in that direction right now under trudeau but i think the the thing that i always come back to i think that the fate of the world is already fixed. We can read the book of Revelation and know how it ends. Yep. The fate of nations is really in the hands of nations. Yeah, And that's where I always come back. My message to my church over and over again is that if my people will humble themselves and seek my face and confess their sins, God says that at whatever point we do that, we can begin to see a change. Sure. So we get real excited about what, hearing about things in Asbury. And I hope Asbury is a, is a beginning of, of something. But the reality is, uh, typically, revivals, when they start, are spontaneous. It can't be identified with any single person or place. And they begin to happen all over the place because it's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Sure. Not the machinations of an organization. Yeah. And uh, but uh, so my prayer, my plea constantly, my wife and I pray all the time, God, bring an awakening to America. Because if we don't, I mean, people are going to think I'm crazy in saying this, but I... I think there's a high likelihood that not only will Joe Biden run for a second term, I think that's a fixed thing already, sure. but that he'll win. Uh, and not just because the political uh, the election system is so corrupt. I think that's part of it. But we have to keep in mind, as corrupt as our election system is, that guy got a whole bunch of votes in the last election. Fetterman got a whole bunch of votes. Yeah. And these people are clearly incompetent.
0: Yeah. can I Can I say something? Matter. You made one of the greatest quotes I've heard. I said it on my last podcast, but you're here. You're the one that said it. So, uh, it, And it goes in line with what you just said. You said, corrupt leaders are the product of a corrupt society. Something along those lines, right?
2: Yeah. yeah. And, yes.
0: and and I think what you just talked about, as scary as that may sound, is definitely uh, something that is plausible, is definitely plausible. You, you also made... Uh, you also said that, um, we shouldn't, uh, let me get the quote, right. Let me see, where is it counting? You you said something along the lines of counting your chicks before they're hatched. What did you mean by that?
1: Well, um, I'm trying to think exactly what I did mean. I think that, uh, unfortunately we, we assume that things are, Uh, going to get better. I I feel like Christians right now are becoming so politicized. And I know I've been uh, accused of that because in the the last election, I told my congregation, first time I've ever done this, that I was going to vote for Donald Trump. And I said, I'm going to vote for him for one reason. He's the only politician in my lifetime who has come out strongly and, and determinedly to put an end to abortion. Because I think abortion is... Ultimately, going to be the bellwether issue yeah. in our nation uh, because you just can't murder 63 million people and not have consequences. Sure. sure. And so, you know, that the blood behind uh, below the altar that's crying out to God for justice, you know, I mean, remember how many of those 63 million babies are part of that blood. Saying all of that, I think that um, Christians basically assume because we've we got uh, abortion as was tossed out by the Supreme Court, it hasn't stopped abortion. Yep. And it's it's even ramped it up in a lot of places. And so there's kind of this dividing line that's coming across the country. But at the same time, I feel like Christians are looking at the political dimension without looking at the spiritual dimension, which is repentance. Yep.
0: Agreed. Agreed. I think you hit the nail on the head. And you did talk about that on Requiem Redux, which I encourage everybody to go check out. It's only 25, 27 minutes, somewhere around there. Uh, but I would encourage you guys to go check it out. I did link to it below if you guys want to go listen to Pastor Ken. It's fabulous. It's really good. And you you, you kind of uh, expand a bit about that, that notion, right? I think we as a whole, including the church, we've come to a point where we're looking to leaders, elected officials. We're looking to put elected officials, and we're putting our faith in a flawed system yep. rather than putting our faith in Jesus Christ, the only one that can fix the system, right? In repentance, yep. we're not coming to... And, and you mentioned Second Chronicles 7.14. I talked about this, which was great. We didn't plan this, but I talked mm-hmm. about this in the last podcast, how Second Chronicles 7.14 was meant for Israel, but however, in principle in principle, the same things apply to us. And I've always said for years now, I've thought, you know, my wife and I always have this conversation. The fact that the Lord outlines these things must happen, then this will happen. I don't see if. I do not see the if happening. If my people who are called by my name will blah, 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 outlined in scripture, then I will do that, Right. So this is conditional. In my estimation, what the Lord says is conditional, right? and I don't see it. What do you think about that?
1: Well, I think it's, again, I think it comes back to the fate of nations is really in the hands of the people of that nation. And I I agree completely, because I I look at the church right now, and I see a lot of Christians concerned about the economy. They're concerned about inflation and all of these, you know, even concerned about the wars that are taking place and so forth. But I feel like there's a more central issue and yeah. i think that we there's just not a brokenness and that's why my wife and i's constant prayer is for uh, uh, for the uh, judgment to begin at the house of god yeah and it's it, it in part it's self-judgment and there's got to be a, and, and in some ways when i look at the direction that some some uh uh christian organizations i'll call them are going uh i think that that's good in the sense that we're separating sheep and goat in a sense But the reality is that we who are believers in the word of God and faithful to Christ need to be on our knees. Because one of the things I saw in in, uh, both Ezra and Nehemiah's prayers, I studied their prayers one time, and both of them repented for the sins of their fathers that they hadn't committed. But I think that I found myself starting saying, God, forgive me. For not being more aware, forgive me for not being repented and asking forgiveness for the things that my sure. forefathers have, have brought into this nation, because then we begin to realize that this is a generational thing. And that's where, again, I, you know, Ungwen basically said in his is uh, end of empires, he said, you have three generations where after the family falls apart, before the nation will collapse. Yeah, and he says without and he puts this very clearly. Without exception, I love what uh, uh, Sir John Glove said in his in "Fate of Empires." He said um, that uh, he said one of the marks he had twenty one things that he marked as the indications of a, a, a culture that's a great nation going into decadence. And one of the things that always stood in my mind, he says, when people go into politics poor and come out rich.
0: Yeah, that's true. That is thought,
1: huge, yeah. Nancy Pelosi, or just—I mean—I look at Congress, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and unfortunately, that's one of the that's one of the reasons the 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 force behind wanting to get into politics nowadays. I would imagine not everybody—I'm not batching in everybody—but the large majority of them they go in with this notion of I'm going to go in there and I'm going to just strike it rich, and unfortunately, that's the case because you have vultures just waiting to prey on those. That are looking for, uh, well, they don't have, they really don't have a moral compass. They don't have standards. And when you don't have standards, there's nothing to go by. There's nothing to measure by. And uh, unfortunately, that's where we're at. You said something real quick. You said the word complacency. And I think we've gotten to a point in the church where we've become complacent. And that's definitely. I yeah. believe that's a sin. It's a huge sin of complacency. And that's why I believe we're in the position we're in, is because the church has become rich. The church has become like, you know, Revelation, we read, in need of nothing. I have all things that I need. And the Lord says, I'm trying. I think that's the first church. Um yeah. and he says, You don't realize you, you, you're poor, you're naked, you're wretched. <laughs> you know what I mean? You need it all. Right, and uh, th- that's a, I think, a perfect picture of what complacency has done to the church here in America, by and large, how it's affected society mm-hmm. and our culture. Would you say?
1: Yeah, my ex, my my last blog post, which is on my kenortiz dot com, uh, I titled it uh, "Buildings, Bucks, Butts, and Big Shots." <laughs> and, uh, uh, basically, I'm talking about these. This has been the driving thing. We've been so successful and so prosperous. Yeah. I mean, I look at my church. You know, my church facility. We have like 90,000 square feet. I mean, it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's this massive building. Yeah. And you know, you just you you start you start acting as if you know you're you're something special. Yeah. Yep. I just I just see it happening, and it's just it's just a heartbreaking dynamic to me, because I just see the complacency part of that is, is, is on one hand, it's like, I don't want to say something that's going to cause a, a negative reaction. I don't, I don't want uh, people starting to say mean things about me. Sure. I, mean, I, I had to just stop reading mine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's true.
0: I will vouch for that. I will totally vouch for
2: that.
1: Because you just realize that there's people who go for clipped, but yeah. At the same time, I think that it's, again, I come back to that thing of during the Holocaust where my friend said they just chose to look away. And I see a lot of Christians just saying, Man, I got my own problems. Yeah. I, I, I lost my job. I can't pay the bills. I'm yeah. living on credit cards. Don't bother me with this stuff. I got my own problems. That's right. I want you to tell something that's to make me feel good inside.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and again, that that's brought on a whole slew of problems. I know we're just there. Would you be okay uh hanging out just maybe 10 more minutes? Sure. Maybe 10, 15. We'll take a couple questions. Um, and, but I want to ask you, um, one last thing. And I think we talked about this off the record and I think this will just kind of tie in everything because we've covered a lot and there's still a whole lot more to cover that we didn't get to, but where do you see us in the prophetic landscape? I know that you talked about briefly the impact of the family unit on the country. Um, um, J, uh, JD Youngwood's book, the end of empires. You mentioned that too. But where mm-hmm. do you see us in the prophetic landscape? We didn't even get to talk about Israel and their uh, messed up government right now and how they're yeah. suffering. But I want to tie this into uh, how easy it's going to be for the Antichrist to come on the scene and look like the Savior of all. So, so talk to us about that.
1: Well, one of the things that I've been saying for, for quite a few years is that I cannot see one world government coming into place uh, which is the going to be the platform which the antichrist is going to run the world? Yep. With as long as United States America is a powerful entity, the hegemony hegemony of the United States has to come to an end. And I think that the Biden has pretty much accomplished that uh, today. With especially we're talking about the union now of Russia and China together. Um, they compose up most, you know, about half the earth is just covered by those two nations yeah. and not mentioning the, you know, a, a significant portion of the world's population, but these two forces coming together really has made them the dominant force in the world today. And, and the efforts, I think it's intentional. I mean, I don't really blame Biden directly because I don't really, honestly, I don't say this being critical of him. I'm just saying, I don't think he's aware of much of what's going on. Yeah, I agree the people who are behind him. Uh, are really seeking to very intentionally diminish the role of the United States in the world and make us just another nation.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. The United States has to become completely inconsequential. It is my opinion, I've said this time and time again, and I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to keep saying it, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that what renders America completely inconsequential is the rapture of the Church. I believe once the rapture happens... It is going to be a flood that's just going to come into this country, and it really will be a non-player, a non-player at all. I know some have said, well, what is, what is the U.S.'s role when it comes to defending Israel? I don't see one. There isn't one. As far as I know, the Bible doesn't talk about one, and if you do see the U.S. and the Young Lions, all they do is they just uh, they just voice their opposition to the invasion. Really, that's it, as far as I know. I don't know if you see it some other way.
1: No, I don't. I and I think that I, when you look at Israel, basically they're predicating all their future defense plans on not being supported by the United States. Yeah. They do not. They do not trust the United States. The only president they've been confident with is, is Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've I've had some of the military people tell me that, and uh, but this president administration is the most anti-Israel. Um, uh, Administration we've ever had, yeah, and undercutting them in every chance we get, and of course undercutting our own military. You, I used to, you know, somebody's saying how can these guys be so stupid? My response was, it's too stupid to be stupid.
0: That's right. That's right. It, yeah. This is a plan. This yeah. is
1: this is this is a this is a program being worked.
0: Absolutely, I agree 100. And let me, you know, what I'll say this much: I know we can keep going and going, but in all due honesty, why would you trust the United States? I mean, the incompetence. Oh. As so, we're supposed to help come to the aid of other countries, but the way we look on the world stage is just ridiculous. Is ridiculous, especially with the debacle, the debacle of Afghanistan and leaving everybody there, um, of leaving a a marine back in Russia and trading them for somebody other than, you know, not uh, somebody that that uh, has a lot left to be said. Um, Let's just put it that way, right? We left one of our own behind enemy lines. So if I was another country, I'd actually be concerned too. I'd be like, hey, I think we need to start figuring out how to fend for ourselves because when push comes to shove, it ain't going to happen. The U.S. is not going to do it. And I I think that has a lot to do with the Lord just uh, taking his hand away from us.
1: Well, that's why I would also say that the issue with Ukraine and Russia, there's a lot more at play. Yeah. Just the border. Yeah,
0: I agree, hundred percent. And Russia and China. Just yesterday, I read an article that they have now completely strengthened their ties, mm-hmm. and uh, it's 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 big. If if China is providing for R- the Russian military and aiding them, really, what we have to say, what this administration has to say, is that that red line that Obama drew in the sand years ago in regards to Russia and Syria, which was a joke, and we all know that. And so, um, but, anyways, look, at the end of the day, folks, and I think Pastor Ken, you would agree that the way things are going on a global level, the world is yearning and screaming for a leader that can come on the stage and fix everybody's woes. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. And we're close to that. We're close to that. So listen, let's take a couple questions, and then if you don't mind sharing the hope of Jesus Christ, the gospel message of Christ. And you know what? Calvary Chapel was my fave when it came to that. After every message, Pastor Chuck always gave the gospel, invited people to come down to the front. And I remember at Costa Mesa, he would say, Okay, this gentleman over here holding up a Bible, I want you guys to follow him and they would follow them to a back room and pray with them, give them a Bible. But I want us to be able to share the gospel. So uh, let's just take a couple of questions, and then uh, let's share the gospel. What do you say? That sounds great. All right, let's do it. So uh, this is from Pete Garcia. There you go, Rev. 310 Hey, hey, hey. what up, what up? Uh, so, um, So the question, he says, Ken, let's say we could know for sure that the Lord wouldn't return for 100 years. How long would the U.S. continue as are given our current trajectory? A decade. Wow, that's pretty crazy. One decade.
1: Yeah, I think we have to keep in mind there's, there is a sovereign currency crisis that's coming that when COVID hit, uh, the banks got bailed out by the governments. Yep. Uh, but that's coming to an end because they were allowed to print a bunch of money to fill their coffers up again and, and keep them uh, operational. But at some point there, that's gonna come. And I think that's gonna, and like we saw, I was talking about before that Adam Smith said, every country has, has a, a certain amount of ruin that it can endure. And the question is always how much ruin that is. And nobody knows for certain until they've gone off the edge. But you, the, just the entire, I look at the entire system in, the, in our Congress, uh, our executives are, are even our judicial, um, everything is really kind of run amok and everybody's operating. Sir so John Glove said that, uh, great empires, nations always assume that they'll last forever, Yeah, but they don't. That's
2: right. That's and, right. And,
1: uh, I just, you know, and uh, I, I would say that I hope I'm wrong, but, uh, because I like living in my country. Yeah. That's <laughs> I've right. i to other ones. I prefer this one. Yeah. Uh, but my goodness gracious, uh, the way our liberties are being eroded, uh, the laws that are being passed. I mean, you know, the efforts of Biden just this week to, to surrender sovereignty yeah. over pandemic. To the WHO. To the
0: yeah, that was, that's and this isn't the first time they tried. They tried last yeah. year, 2022 or 2021. Yeah. They tried yeah. that. So it's not the first time. I'm glad that there's a big pushback from Congress. Thank God. And look, folks, I'm going to tell you something. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that, I said this last time, the fact that the true remnant church, the the real Bible-believing, born-again Christian here in America and abroad is really keeping all the holes in the dam plugged up. But when when those when those are taken out, and again, here here's my you know, my very deep word pictures, but this is just the way my my elementary mind works. Big dam like Hoover Dam and all these holes and people are all the believers are just plugging that up. When you take that away, the pressure from behind that dam is just gonna be so insurmountable, it's just gonna collapse. And that's the way that I see things. And so again, I'm Look, we're we're way past, we're not even gonna get to the questions. I wanted to get that one, but um, we're way past our time. But listen, there is forgiveness offered. I wanna mention just one thing before I turn it over to you, Pastor Ken, um, to talk about the gospel. You mentioned the fact that God will keep us accountable for the 65 million plus abortions, yeah, stateside only, right? I mean, that's an yeah. entire generation.
1: Yeah.
0: I want to re- I want to reassure people that within those 65 million people whether they were women or men that um women that did them but the men that either forced them to do it or that they were in agreement with it that god's grace and 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 mercy and love a lot of those came to jesus christ and they've seen the error of their way and god has forgiven them and i want to make sure that i that i say that because mm-hmm. God is gracious. And even in that atrocity, we could see God's grace and God's mercy and God's redemptive power at work all throughout these last decades since 1973. And that's beautiful to see God's hand at work there. Now, that's separate from the fact that God's going to keep us accountable to that. But I want to make sure people understand that there is redemptive power that Christ offers. And so, with that said, why don't you talk to us about that redemption offered only in Jesus Christ?
1: Well, I would just tag on to that, first of all, by saying the Apostle Paul himself said that he was chief among sinners because he said not only did he persecute the church, but he was responsible for the death and destruction of many people's lives. And he basically said, I was basically was saying, if I put it by own terms, I was a really terrible person yep. doing terrible things. And yet he said, God in His saved me because he wanted to demonstrate how great his grace is. And that's what we always have to keep in mind. Grace is receiving favor that we don't deserve. But the other side of that coin is mercy, where God doesn't give us what we do deserve. And yeah. I think one of the mistakes we often make, even in the church, is we have this idea that, uh, that somehow I'm better or different than people who have committed other sins. And I just know that the further I, the longer I walk with the Lord, the deeper I understand my relationship with Christ, the more I realize that the only thing I deserve is hell. That's right. I am, I am a sinner uh, through and through, and I've yeah. been saved by the grace of God. And uh, I think that when somebody's growing in Christ, you become more aware of how great that grace is. Yeah. And so I would say to someone who may be listening here, and you're just sitting there kind of feeling pretty beat up uh, and maybe, maybe worried and stressed, we weren't created for time. We were created for eternity. And you need to un- understand and, and begin to grasp the fact that that uh, your life is going to end. <clears throat> My life is going to end probably sooner than a lot of people's because I'm 73, but your life is going to come to an end and then is eternity. And God created you for that eternity. Our life in this world is like a baby inside, gestating inside the womb of his mother. Yeah. We became born again when we receive Christ and he gives us that new life and that new life seals us into eternity And one of the things that I know and I hope for is the fact that one day I will leave this body behind because God says in in 1 Corinthians 15 that he's condemned sin in the flesh, that my body is put off and he gives me a new body, which is going to be pure and holy without spot or blemish. And I always tell people in that day, the lust of my flesh will be to worship and to praise God. Mm. And I I just think that there's no more struggle. There's no more conflict. There's no more battle with sin because I've been fully redeemed. That's what God created you for, not to have your best life now, but rather to know that one day you'll leave this world and be in his presence. And the only way you can get there is by confessing your sins and receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior.
0: Amen. So can can you lead us in a prayer to close this out? That would be great.
1: Will do. Father, I pray for those who may be listening who have never really made that commitment to you. There may be people who, are listening regular on these podcasts and and maybe even going to church every week or pretty often, and yet they've never really bowed the knee. They've never really surrendered themselves to Christ. They may be convinced in their mind, but they have never been converted in their heart. Mm -hmm. And I pray right now that you would lead them by your Holy Spirit, that they would just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I am a sinner, and I can't save myself lord jesus please come into my heart and give me the gift of eternal life and i pray lord that as they pray that prayer they would feel the power of your born again presence on their life and on their body and they would be transformed lord i just pray that even as we look at the signs of the time it's not because we want to just be uh depressed and macabre about the terrible things But we want to lift up our eyes and see when we see all of these things, as you told us, that our redemption is drawing near. Lord, help us to live in light of that moment when you will snatch us away from this world and take us into your eternal presence. That's what we live for. That's what we hope for. That's our purpose in life, Lord Jesus. And thank you for saving us in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Wow, that was amazing folks i hope pastor ken thank you thank you thank you that was really really good um i I think i'm going to use that if that's okay with you i'll I'll give you credit for it but you said we weren't created for time we were created for eternity so i i'm going to post that i'm going to use that i'll give credit to you but i think that was great it was really really good how can the people be praying for you if you don't mind
1: real simple um you know, my wife and I were praying about spiritual warfare, about praying that God helped to hold the shield and yeah. to absorb the darts. And uh, my wife pointed out, we're not waiting for the darts. They're coming right now. Oh, yeah, time. they
0: are. Well, look, this is the book. I'm, I've i told folks to read it. It's a fabulous book. And um, I'm taking my sweet time to go through this book because uh, the battle's real. So I, I too, agree with you, for yeah. sure. Um, what? I was gonna say something, and see, this is what happens. You total, I totally spaced on what I was gonna say. So forget about it. I'll probably remember, you know, three hours from now what I was gonna say. So it is what it is. Um, listen, folks, I I I really pray that you guys were blessed because I know I was and encouraged, even though the topic was a heavy one. Know that Jesus Christ is coming back for us any moment. That is the beauty of the doctrine of imminency. It's any moment. And, um, I pray that you guys were challenged too, because we said a lot of things that will challenge your walk in the Lord that will challenge you to get into the word of God and allow the word of God to change us. Right. If we're going to be honest about it. So, um, we will come back pastor Ken with you and talk about, uh, what is the family coming to, and then what is the church coming to? Maybe it could be a two part series, uh, that would be lovely. We'll we'll uh, we'll talk afterwards. But folks, again, get all of Pastor Ken's resources materials. You could do that. All the links are below. And um, just remember, like Pastor Ken said in his prayer, uh, Luke twenty one twenty eight. When these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads, because our redemption draws near, and our redemption is very near. So. Folks, until the next time, I'm not even going to bother playing the outro or the, because I have no clue what it's going to do. So I'm just going to go black screen. You're going to hear us talk, and then I'm going to just cut out. So hasta la vista. See you next time, folks. Lord bless you. Bye. <laughs>